This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Trey Hildebrandt delivers this teaching entitled, The Widow's Oil. This is the second message in the series, Weird Stuff. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So today, we get to jump into week two of Weird Stuff in the Bible. So if you would, grab your Bibles, grab your bulletins, grab your pens. Let's jump into week two of Weird Stuff in the Bible. Enjoy. One of the great joys of what we get to do together is raise up leaders. Now, many of you listening are the living testimony of growing in spiritual leadership, from leadership intensives to the J-men to, to ongoing training through our ministry teams and on and on. Because in the same way that we are a sending church, we are a training church. It's one of the things that God has called us to be and do. And all of 12 Stone benefits when I step aside for the July study break. Because not only do I get to spend some time with God reflecting and preparing for what's next, it's when you gain access to rising next generation leaders. And that's what's happening these next two weekends as part of the series Weird Stuff in the Bible. And today, Trey Hildebrandt will be teaching. And there are some things you need to know about Trey. Well, his dad was a pastor, and, and Trey grew up in the church. And he's been doing ministry in this territory since he was a teenager. But when he was leading a nonprofit out of uh, the Gainesville area, God, God put a deep love in Trey for the local church. And after leading in a sister church here in the area, he came to 12 Stone. Uh, that was about three years ago. And his prayer, we later learned, his prayer when he came to 12 Stone was, God, someday, would you let me be a campus pastor at 12 Stone? <laughs> oh, it's a great prayer. But God opened that door faster than Trey could have imagined. And he has been the campus pastor at 12 Stone Snellville campus for the past two and a half years. And that campus has grown two to three times. And, and God is moving. And 12 Stone, let, now let me just pause for a moment and add something here. See, this coming year, in January and February, we will have a, a weekend celebration of our 30th anniversary. And 12 Stone turns 30 years old. And even during this July break, God is God's stirring things for our future that just fire me up. And we'll talk about that on the 30th celebration. We have great days behind us, but we'll have greater days ahead of us. But here's my point, my reason. I've been leading 12 Stone longer than Trey has lived. <laughs> Do you get that? And as I get to be more of a spiritual father kind of voice, I'm paying attention to spiritual anointing. And there is an anointing on Trey. And that's why he's stepping up today. That's why I asked him to teach. Yes, it's his first time teaching the weekend. Not his first time teaching. He's done that hundreds of times in various venues. But my sense from the Lord was it's time to put him in front of you. And while you might be tempted to give him some grace as he's new to the teaching platform, pay more attention to the Spirit of God. This emerging generation has something to say for all of us to hear. Ah, this is such a wonderful time and season. So Trey, come teach us. Hey guys. <laughs> you know, there's absolutely no pressure from that PK, so thanks man. <laughs> Trey's going to bring the spirit of God. Okay, Trey, you know, here, here I am. 
Hey guys, so good to be with you this morning at 11 a.m. We're honored to be a part of 12 Soul. My wife, my family, and I, it's, a, it's great to be here. What God's doing at the Snellville campus uh, is home for us, and it really is uh, our joy to be a part of a church like 12 Stone. Today we're in week two of this series called Weird Stuff in the Bible, and, and I love it because we've all had, if, if we're honest, moments where we've opened the Bible and we've kind of thumbed through it and we've landed, we put our fingers somewhere, and what we read was just weird. Can we agree that we've just read some weird things, that there's some odd things in the Bible? And I love that we decided to slow down and to dig into some of the weird things in Scripture because when we dig in, we find understanding. And when we find understanding, we gain wisdom. And we believe that the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the truth of God. And so we want to learn something from it. We want to learn about God. We want to learn about ourselves. Uh, and we believe that even the weird things are important. Today, we're going to be learning about God's provision through the story of a widow and her small jar of olive oil. It's, it's going to be great. But before then, I want to introduce you to my, my kids, specifically my weird son. So I found some weird pictures of my kids that I think will help us have a little fun today. Uh, this is my three-year-old. Um, <laughs> His name is Bear. He is, uh, you know, trying to take a casual selfie with your kid and you get the finger up the nose. Now, now that's the weird part that maybe you, you, you see. Well, that's weird. The, the more subtle weird thing is the fact that he's shirtless. What you need to know about my three-year-old is he's always shirtless. People who follow us on Instagram, my wife and I, are, are, they'll text us things like, why is your kid always naked? And now I can respond with, because he's weird. <laughs> the next picture is our one-and-a-half-year-old. His name is Jude, uh, and that is not chocolate on his mouth. That is dirt. Uh, he is in a, a mode where everything goes straight to the mouth. Any parents know what I'm talking about? That it just goes straight, everything goes straight to his mouth. Uh, that's Jude. And then here's a picture of my family. Uh, that's right. What you'll notice is the weird level goes down because of my graceful, beautiful, normal wife. And I'm, I'm unashamedly trying to win brownie points. So babe, I love you, Sarah. Uh, this is, yeah. So uh, it's great. We're, we're honored. We really are, uh, you know, what God's doing in our lives. And, and I see a, a picture like that. And I, I think about how good life can be. I think about how, how the great moments that life can have. But if we're all honest, there are some moments in life that aren't so great. In fact, maybe you've, you've been in that season for a while where life is difficult. Life is tough. It's just hard sometimes. So let's just, let's, let's, let's have a, an honest, candid moment. Turn to your neighbor and let's just say it. Life is tough. Just nod. Give a big nod. Life is tough. Yeah, it really is. It really is sometimes tough. But you know what's also tough? Being an Atlanta Braves fan. <laughs> Being a Braves fan is tough. And we've had a tough couple of years. Um, but man, they're, they're a little bit on the upswing. They, they are. And, and they've, they have this new promotion. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called The Freeze. Have you heard of this guy? And if you haven't heard of The Freeze, here's what you need to know. He was a guy who was working on the Atlanta grounds crew. He was a college sprinter. Somebody in the Atlanta uh, Braves marketing department decided, hey, let's put him in spandex and have him race some of the worst athletes we can find in a Braves game. So to help us understand this idea that, that life can be tough, we think this will give you a, a funny picture. Check it out. Tested a head start and then watch this guy in the freeze suit. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Watch this, folks. I mean, the guy had what, a 240 pound 
what head start. At least. Look at this guy go. This guy is beautiful. <laughs> Look at this guy. <laughs> the guy, yeah, the guy thought, he thought he was going to win. Exactly. <laughs> oh, the freeze. I mean, he starts how many? Uh, you 50 get 50 yards behind that guy? Yeah, you get a quarter pole, I think. That guy blew a tire. Look at him. He's, he's uh, <laughs> blew a tire. Did you catch that? He blew a tire. Uh, you know, how many of you kind of feel that way in life? You're running the race. You feel like you're doing pretty well. Maybe even you're kind of celebrating a little bit. And then you crash. And you realize that, that uh, the pressure is high. Maybe you don't feel like you have enough resources. Maybe you don't feel like you have enough time. Maybe you just feel really low on faith. Maybe stress or worry has kind of crowded out the, the, the good, the faith, the hope, and the joy of your life. Maybe you have blown a tire. We think today's message is going to speak to you. We think that today's message could build your faith, that today's message could do something to, to speak to you in your time of need. And a weird story in the Old Testament about a widow and an, a jar of olive oil is going to help us get there. So we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, it's going to be page 365 in your worship center Bibles. We're going to be looking at a story from the prophet Elisha. And Elisha was also uh, the focus of Sean's message last week for week one of this series. So if you missed week one, go check out week one from Sean. It, it, it Maybe Elisha was just a really weird guy for us to pick him for two of the four sermons in this series. Uh, but we think that, that there's something about this story that's called the widow's oil that's going to help us better understand the truth that God is our provider, that he is a provider in whatever season we're in, whatever context, whatever circumstance, God is a provider. So we're going to jump into the first two verses, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, to kind of set the scene and set the context for what God wants to teach us today. Verse 1, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Now, before we move further, uh, there's a lot in these two verses that I think we need to unpack. First, you may notice that we don't even know the name of this widow. Scripture doesn't even make it very clear who she is. But Jewish tradition believes that she was the wife of a prophet named Obadiah. And maybe, maybe that's where some of the weirdness in scripture is. Some of the names right there in the middle of the Bible, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Methuselah. Maybe that's part of the weirdness. But Jewish tradition believes that she was the wife of Obadiah. And Obadiah was known for taking care of the other prophets. He was the protector and the provider of other prophets. So in the case of his untimely death, it's not uh, unheard of to think about uh, this family being in a place of financial need and stress. He had spent his life giving and giving and giving. And then at the moment of his death, his wife and their sons are left without. And so she has to go seeking help because a creditor has come to take her two boys as, uh, the, as slaves in order to pay back the debt. She is in a really devastating place. She's lost her husband. She has no money. She's not gainfully employed. She's about to lose her sons. The struggle is real for her. Her problems are real. 
And for me, when I was reading this passage of scripture and thinking about that list of things that are tough in this woman's life, I, it helped put some of my problems in perspective. I started to think about my problems a little differently. And there's another way I tend to, to help myself think a little bit uh, better about my problems is because I realize a lot of my problems are first world problems. You ever heard that phrase before, first world problems? If you haven't, here's what you, I hope this will, will enlighten us because there are a lot of problems that we have in our lives here together uh, in a great, you know, kind of developed nation like the United States that are unique to our circumstances. I, I think you can relate to a few of these. The first one, maybe you've come to church and it's one of those mornings where the kids are uh, behaving and they're smiling and they're not hitting each other in the back seat. They haven't spilt anything on their shirts and you're walking down this beautiful bridge at Central and you're gonna snap a picture with your phone or, or maybe you're on vacation and the sun is setting perfectly and you look at the horizon and it's gorgeous. You pull out your phone, you go to take the picture and then this pops up on your phone. <laughs> Cannot There have been times where I've wanted to cuss because of that picture. <laughs> it's a first world problem that you can't take a crystal clear picture on your phone. Come on. Next, what about this? You can't get to the leftovers in the back of your fridge because of all the leftovers in the front of your fridge. I don't know why you'd want to get to the leftovers in the back of the fridge. Anyway, anyway you might get sick. Next, a lesson I learned in college about hot pockets. <laughs> the center of a hot pocket comes two ways, no matter what you do. Ice cube, or molten lava. That is a first world problem. And then the last one, this is something that I think is, uh, I've heard over and over again this summer. I need a vacation from my vacation. Anybody ever said that? Yes. That's a first world statement. But this isn't the type of problem we're talking about in this story. We're talking about real problems in the life of this widow. We're talking about real problems in the life of this family. And I bet there are real problems in this room too. That a lot of you, you don't have just first world problems. You have real tough problems. You're here today and you're not sure your marriage is going to make it. There is great financial stress to pay the next bill. And you're not sure where the money's going to come from. And you can't even sleep at night. Or maybe there's a health concern for yourself or somebody that you love and the word cancer has been thrown out or some other thing that's happened and you're just, you're scared to death about what might happen. And because of those type of things, your faith is just, it's just lowered because of all of these real tough, big problems and struggles in your life. No matter how big your need for provision, no matter how intense the, the problem may be, I think today this story about a widow and her olive oil is going to help remind us that God really is a good God and he is a good provider. So now that we've set the scene, this widow is in a tough place, a devastating place. Many of us are in places like this. Let's see what God can teach us in the rest of this weird story in the Old Testament. We're gonna jump back in at verse three, 2 Kings chapter four. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars as each is filled, put it to one side. She said to him, 
or she left him and shut the doors behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. The oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Don't miss the weird in this story because if you're not careful, you'll pass right by it. The woman had a small jar of olive oil and Elisha encourages her to go back to collect a bunch of empty jars and God's gonna use a bunch of empty jars and a little bit of olive oil to provide for all of her needs. Now for me, with the jar of olive oil that I have here, if I begin pouring and I pour it out into this empty jar, it doesn't take long for me to get a what? An empty jar. This jar doesn't have any more olive oil in it. Maybe some of you are here today and you feel empty. You feel like you have nothing left to give, that you don't have much in life. And in the case of this woman, she poured it out, but her jar kept pouring and God took a little bit of oil and created a large amount of oil and what was small multiplied jar after jar after jar until she had exactly what she needed. God weirdly supplies for the needs of this family through an unending flow of olive oil. Don't miss how powerful our God is. That he is not bound by physics. We may think, well, that breaks the laws of nature. God wrote the laws of nature and he can break them whenever he sees fit. Thank you for that. And we think about a phrase like supernatural and I'm thinking supernatural, supernatural to us. It's just natural to God. He is the creator. He's the sustainer. He, he spins the planets in motion, yet somehow knows the hairs on your head. He can create an unending flow of olive oil. And what is weird to us is normal to God. Because of his power and because of who he is, that's who we stand up and worship every Sunday when we gather together, is a powerful God like that. But I believe there's a lot that we can learn from this passage of scripture, specifically about God as provider. So if you're in need today, if you're in a tough place, if you're in an empty place, the first thought in your notes, I hope will be helpful to you as we study how God could be our provider. If you're taking notes, write this down. When you don't have what you want, God is what you need. And it's really important that you hear that. Let me say it again. When you don't have what you want, you can discover that our good God is what you need. Or maybe there's even a better way to say it. When you don't have what you want, God is who you need. Because I wonder if in our great need, in our seasons of lack, in our seasons of empty, we oftentimes start thinking about a what to fill our needs when the first place we should go is to think about a who. God himself that it's God who is the one who can supply everything that we need. And I think God wants to take us on a journey to learn how to live a life that demonstrates that he is all that we need. And I think we see it in one of the most profound and subtle things in this story that if we're not careful, we'll, we'll skip over it. And I don't wanna skip over it because God used 
what was empty to show off his provision. Did you see that in the story? God used, his, God used what was empty to show off his provision. It was the empty jars of the neighbors that became the vehicle to supply everything that this family needed. God wants to teach us something today about the value of empty. Because our empty seasons can turn into dependent seasons. Don't miss that. Our empty seasons, when we feel like we have nothing left, can turn into dependent seasons. And dependence on God is the best place you can be. If you're growing in a relationship with God, then I pray that you're growing in dependence on him. Because the best place to be as a person and as a follower of Christ is fully depending on and leaning on the power and the presence of God for every single aspect of your life. So if empty seasons can turn into dependent seasons, then there's great value in your empty seasons. And you may say, Trey, how can there be value in my brokenness? Because if you, have you seen my laundry list? Some of you are like, yep. Have you seen my laundry list of all the things that are going wrong in my life, all the things that are difficult, and you're gonna tell me that there's value in that? I'm gonna say, yeah. Because there's nothing. Empty seasons are valuable because there's nothing more valuable than learning how to depend on God. And I think that's one thing that God wants to do today. He wants to help us learn how to turn our empty seasons into dependent seasons with a few practical ideas. So we're going to jump into how. How do I get to this point where I begin to have my perspective switch and I allow God to bring great value out of my season of lack? If you right there, one of the first thoughts in your notes, stop looking at what you want. If you want to turn your empty seasons into dependent seasons, stop looking at what you want. Second Kings chapter four, verse two, Elisha says, hey, what do you have in your house? And she says, your servant has nothing at all. Isn't it interesting that when you're hurting or in lack, that all you can see is what you don't have? All you can see is the glittery little thing on the, on the horizon or the thing that somebody else has, and you can, your attention and your affection drift to what you want, and we often miss the good that we already have. It becomes a glass half empty instead of a glass half full for us so easily. And maybe one of the reasons that happens is we are so quickly a people of comparison, we see somebody else at work who got the promotion that we thought we deserved. Or maybe it's material. Maybe you're thinking, I want that truck. Or I want that house. You start comparing things like that. Or maybe even deeper, you compare your family to somebody else's family. You compare your marriage to somebody else's marriage. And you say, if only I had that, I'd be okay. And we become people of comparison. And that always steals your joy. Comparison is a trap that will steal our joy and it's so easy for us to get to a point to where what we don't have and what we want dominates our thoughts and our affections. And I think, I think that's where the widow was. She had gotten to this place where all she could see is that she didn't have a husband, she didn't have enough money, she was about to lose her sons and she didn't have any hope. But God wants to come in and change that for her, and he does. But before we, we see that, I, I wanna lean into this idea of we're so easily a people of comparison and how trapped we can get. Because when we get trapped in a world of comparison, that's kind of all we see, and we start making decisions that we would not have made otherwise. You ever made a decision that you wouldn't have made had you not seen somebody else make that decision or you saw something you wanted? I did that one night uh, with my wife early in marriage. We uh, got trapped, or not we, I got trapped by an infomercial. 
Anybody ever been trapped or captured, fell victim to an infomercial? Infomercial people are brilliant because they'll trap you when you're thinking like you're kind of groggy and you're not thinking rationally and you'll just think, okay, I, I have to have that. Well, well, that happened to me. I woke up at 1230 a.m. on the couch one night. I looked up and there was an infomercial for a workout program called Insanity. And I started watching it and sure enough, it's insane. If you don't know, if you don't know why is it called Insanity, it is insane. And I watched it and I was captured by it because I compared myself to those guys, and they're telling me that for $99.99, I can get a six-pack. Count me in. <laughs> I can look like that for $99.99. Well, my wife's asleep, and I grab my phone, and I call. And you better believe I make the purchase. And as I'm hanging up my phone, after making a rash decision because I wanted to look like Sean T, I hang up my phone, I put it to the side, and as I'm moving it, my wife's waking up, and we make eye contact. And I know I've screwed up. <laughs> you don't spend $100 in marriage uh, all by yourself. At least that's the lesson I've learned. And, uh, and so we kind of we get through this little thing. And I promise her I'm going to use it. Well, I think in the five years since, I've used it eight times. I still don't have a six-pack. It was a great investment. Just, just ask my wife. So, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to want something. It's just a bad thing with what you want becomes the center of your life. And when what you want becomes the center of your life, you start living in desperation, worry, and anxiety. What can I have? What can I get? What can I have? What can I get? And I think God has a better way forward. Stop looking at what you have or what you want. And the next thought in your teaching notes, start working with what you have. Stop looking at what you want and stop working and start working with what you have. Back to the story. Uh, the widow says she has nothing at all except a small jar of olive oil. And you may think, what's the big deal? How could a small jar of olive oil have any real value? But in this time, in the culture in which this story took place and it was written, olive oil could have a lot of great uses. It could be used for cooking. I heard it was used often in place of butter, which sounds very, very sad. It could be used as moisturizer because I guess you weren't going down the street to the local bath and body works. It was oftentimes uh, uh, used to keep leather pliable. And I read also that it was used for medicinal purposes. And I had this aha moment that maybe this is where the essential oil craze began. And if you don't know much about essential oils, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't on board until my wife created some concoction for my poison ivy and it worked like crazy good and it kept my poison ivy, my poison ivy from, from growing. And then she started putting something on the bottom of my big toe to help me sleep at night. You're laughing, but go look it up. Some... Something about some potion on the bottom of your toe helps you sleep at night. So you see in this scripture that there's, uh, you could understand that oil had a lot of, of purposes, medicinal, and, and then maybe a little more serious. It had uh, a lot of importance in faith. It was used as an offering to God. It was uh, oftentimes used for prayer and other religious activities. And the woman had a valuable, uh, had something valuable. She only had a little, and she didn't think that was significant. And you know what she forgot? She forgot that our God specializes with doing a lot with a little. She forgot that our God takes a little bit and he does something incredible. So be encouraged today. Oftentimes the phrase, give someone an inch and take a mile is a bad thing. But I'm thankful that when I can give God an inch, he'll take a mile sometimes. Because when 
We understand that God specializes with doing a lot with a little. We start working more with what we have. And you see this all throughout the New Testament in the life of Jesus, where he made something that was small, something big. And whether it was feeding the 5,000 with a few fish and a few loaves, or it was healing a blind man with mud, or changing the world with 12 undesirable men, God does a lot with a little. Hey, and guess what? Even if, yeah, we can clap for that. And even if, you know what I love about that? Even if you don't believe in this God, even if you don't believe in Jesus, he still took 12 undesirable men and changed the world because 2,000 years later, there's over 2 billion people that claim Jesus as savior. So we believe that he did something in this. And maybe you find yourself in prayer to God and you're thinking, God, I just have a little bit of faith. And I love that in the New Testament also, there's a moment where Jesus speaks to this and he says, even if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it can move mountains. Maybe this is one of the most significant pieces of today's message for you. That even if you don't feel like you, you have anything to work with, maybe you feel like you don't have any gifts or any talents or any relationships or any influence, start giving God what you have and trust his ability to work in you, not your ability to do something with something small. Your gifts, your talents, your relationships, your influence is powerful in the kingdom of God. If we would open our hearts and say, God, come on, you can use me. Give God what you have and watch him work with a little and do a big miracle in your life and in the people around you. And though I've been speaking mainly today so far with people who are in need, I wanna speak to another group of people who probably identify a little bit more with Elisha. Many of you in this room today, you feel pretty provided for. Maybe you're in a healthy place physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. If you're more of the Elisha in the story, I think there's great wisdom for you and I to learn about how the woman, or how Elisha interacted with the widow. Did you see what he, what he did? Well, first, let me show you what he didn't do. The woman didn't come to Elisha and say, hey, Elisha, I have this huge need. And he just kind of go, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'll be thinking about you. Or the churchy thing, I'll be praying for you. I'm not gonna pray. You know, you ever, we do that. We don't act like we're not gonna pray, but we do. And Elisha didn't just let her kind of stew in what was wrong. He took significant steps into her need and he asked her two questions. He says, first, what do you have in the house? He's helping her find the solution. And two, he asked, how can I help you? Say that with me, I want loud and proud. Let's say that phrase together, five words. How can I help you? You want to make a difference in your everyday life. I wonder if we could pray a prayer like this. God, today I wanna be your representative. Anytime there's a need, that even if I can't directly meet that need, I want to be used by you to help someone in need. If you prayed that every day, I wonder what would change. I bet conversations at the office or at school or with friends or with family or wherever would begin to look different. When you, heard, when you hear a phrase like, uh, uh, you know, I, I, my mom has cancer or my marriage is falling apart or I'm in great need, fill in the blank, you'll hear that phrase different. You'll put yourself out there and say, how can I help you? And you'll make yourself available just like Jesus would. If more Elishas rose up and took responsibility for real needs on an everyday basis, the need would go down. 
We can agree on that. If we took personal responsibility to step into the need, we'd see something incredible happen in our community and around the world. And then finally, the last teaching point, something God wants to do in your heart. This is more of a heart thing to turn our empty seasons into dependent seasons is we have to learn to trust God to provide what you need. The core element of turning our empty seasons into dependent seasons is trust. And when I think of trust, I don't think of some uh, theoretical out there type thing. I'm talking about trust that is real and tangible in how you live your life. When I was, uh, earlier I was joking around about uh, first world problems. But if I'm honest, the greatest lessons I've learned about trust happened when I got out of the first world and and went maybe to a nation that's in a different economic climate and, and, and saw real need face to face. A few years ago, I was with a team of people to Uganda, Africa, with my dad. My dad was a missionary to Africa for a few years, and and I was on a uh, group with him, and and we had split up into a couple of teams, and one of the teams went out to worship with a church in the bush of Africa that met underneath an oak tree, which there's a lot to learn in that as well, but they were worshiping with this church underneath the oak tree, and it got to the point in the service where they were ready to take up the offering. They began to pass the bowl around these people seated Indian style underneath this oak tree and the normal things were being dropped into the bowl. You heard some clanging of coins and some bills. And then we were startled to see what was also in the bowl when it came back around. Check this out. What is that? It's an egg. Man, you learn a lot about trust when you see that type of giving. You see an African man or woman who loves the Lord enough to say, out of my poverty, I'm gonna give God what I have and I'm gonna trust him to provide what I need. That's what trust looks like. And I was challenged by that perspective of trust. And maybe you'd be challenged by that perspective of trust. Now, we don't want eggs in all the offering baskets next Sunday, but (laughs) maybe you're challenged by that picture of trust. And clearly the widow had come to this place of trust and dependence as she asked her neighbors, which was a big, big deal. Think about it. She's going, banging on doors, asking for empty jars. So she came to a place of trust. And when she offered what little she had, God gave her everything she needed. As long as there was an empty jar, the oil kept flowing and God met her in her need and he provided. Now, a little bit of a disclaimer. This doesn't mean God's gonna wipe out your debt with some crazy miracle involving the vegetable oil at your house. But what it does mean is that God wants to provide for your need and he will if we trust him and obey and pattern our lives after his. But we can't miss the reality that many of you are in concern, worry, and maybe you even have anger towards God for what you're going through. But what I've found to be true, and I think the Bible would back it up, is that God does some of his most special work in our lives in the seasons of pain, not prosperity. Sometimes without something missing, there is no miracle. What if where, God, what if where there is something missing in your life is just where God wants to work the greatest miracle, a miracle that you would not have experienced had you not gone through the empty season? Remember, there is great value in the empty seasons when we understand that there's nothing more valuable than learning how to depend on God. Because trust is something that God does in your heart despite what's in your hands. It's easy to trust God when our hands are full. Well, thanks, thanks God. You've given me what I need. 
but it's special to learn to trust God when your hands are empty. And what if what God wants to do first is work in your heart, the spiritual need of your heart before he changes anything about your circumstances? And that that may even sound like bad news to some of you, but, but hear me when I say this. It's the best news we could ever imagine because this life is gonna have empty seasons after empty seasons after empty seasons, but God is there to meet us in all, the ne- in all of those needy seasons. And what we can learn about it is it all goes back to the gospel. It all goes back to the reality that Jesus Christ loved us enough to die on the cross in our place to secure 10,000 years from now so that we don't have to worry about the next 10 minutes. That doesn't mean you're not gonna worry, but it means that you have something secure beyond 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 months, 10,000 years from now because of the hope that we have in Jesus. And the Apostle Paul talks about this deep, rich love in, the, uh, in Ephesians chapter three. And if you were to jump there, you'd see this beautiful passage of scripture that I think will help us understand God's love a little bit better. He says this in verse 14, Ephesians chapter three. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that, that is at work within us. Here's what this means. We come back to God week in and week out and so often we bring an empty jar and we say, God, I, I'm, I'm empty again. I just have a little bit, God. I, my pressure is mounted, stress is mounted, my faith is low, I'm empty. And God looks at our empty jars and he says, I can fill you up. I've got enough for you. And then a relationship breaks down, a kid runs away from the family, stress at work, and we come back to this place spiritually again and we say, God, I'm there again. I'm empty, you already filled me once. I don't know if you can do it again. And God says, hey, quit doubting me, I am enough. I spin the planets in motion. You should know that I'm big enough to create the universe and I'm also small enough to go into the smallest crevice of your heart. I keep pouring out and his love keeps coming. And then we come back and we say, God, I'm more empty than I ever have been before. Can you really meet my need this time? And God says, my love keeps pouring out out and I'm always enough for you. Just like the oil never ran out for the widow, God's love never runs out for us. God wants to meet you in your spiritual need. And here's what you need to know. When you are full spiritually, it redefines what it means to be provided for physically because you begin to see your circumstances differently and you begin to see satisfaction differently. It's a special thing to live in the reality that true satisfaction is something God does inside of you before he takes care of circumstances around you. I think God wants to work in your circumstances, I do. I think God can work miracles in your need, I do. But I wonder if the first place we come to is saying, God, I need you to fill my need in my heart. 
and trust grows and faith grows. And we give God a blank slate to work in the circumstances of our lives. So as I invite the campus pastors up to pray over you, I wanna I want read a quote from Charles Spurgeon. It's a quote that I've loved for years and years and years. And it says something like this. God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we can always trust his heart. And we're gonna pray over you Ephesians chapter three again, but I wanna ask you two quick questions. Where do you need to offer what you have to God? Have you been holding something back that God's been asking you? And maybe the reason you've been holding something back from God is because, number two, where do you need to trust God to provide what you need? When we trust God, we're freed up to give. And when we're freed up to give, God works incredible miracles and he fills us up to all the fullness of who he is. I promise you, every time, God is enough, no matter how empty your season is. Let me pray for us. Father, so across this room, I first pray for people who are in empty seasons. I pray for the people who are um, broken today, who feel like they don't know where to turn. Lord, would you just do something rich and present and real in their hearts and in their lives today? Would you, I, I pray for a wave of peace and a wave of fulfillment across this room for people who are in need. But Lord, I also pray for the, the potential Elishas, Pray for the people who feel connected to you, they feel provided for emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. Lord, I pray that we would rise up, that we would be men and women who help meet the needs of our community, the needs in our church and needs all over the world. And we'd see something special come to life about how you really are a provider who can fill us up because your love is high and wide and deep and long. Thank you for loving us first. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.